Welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. Marketing is our passion, and as a chapter, we hope to inspire dialogue, fuel creativity, and create a community for marketers everywhere. Let the inspiration and dialogue begin. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe to our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Hello, I'm your Marketers in Motion podcast host, Josh Janowiak. Unfortunately, Megan was not able to make it last minute with us today, so I'm going to make sure to ask the questions that uh, that Megan would like to ask as well. I feel like I've got a pretty good sense for um, what she's going to ask and, and the things that she likes to talk about. So we'll, we'll make sure to insert those in. Today's topic, rock your pitch, storytelling with numbers. You have to pitch for money for your business or project. You have to tell your boss you deserve a raise. You have to explain why your project is going to be successful. In order to get X, the numbers, you have to explain why the why. Today, we're going to talk about the numbers and how they tell the story and how the stories tell the numbers. We're going to discuss how the numbers can tell a story, how to tell a story without boring people, how to get your audience to feel something, how the story and the numbers can make the ultimate impact. Before we introduce our awesome guest, I do want to thank our sponsors who support our podcast and our entire AMA West Michigan season. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, River City Studios. Giving a shout out to my boys, Cody and Tyler, our magical men behind the window on the uh, soundboard today, making sure our recording is awesome and crystal clear. River City Studios offers recording, mixing, mastering for podcasts, TV, film, radio, and musicians. You can check them out online at rivercitystudios.com. We also like to thank our annual sponsors. Without them, none of what we do would be possible. So if you like the content and what we're serving up, make sure that you support our sponsors. Our gold sponsors, MI Biz and Vizcom Media, silver sponsors, Pageworks, Bird and Bird Studio, and Red 66 Marketing, and our bronze sponsors, OFA and Grand Valley State University Conference and Event Planning. One more reminder, our end of the season, uh, last virtual Meeting is coming up on Tuesday, May 11th from 11.30 to 1 p.m. You're not going to want to miss out on this one. Russ Klein, he's the CEO of AMA National. He's going to join us for a great session titled End Your Addiction to Storytelling, Building Brands Through Experience Design. You can register today at amawestmichigan.org. Now, we would like to welcome our guest, Melanie Spring, international keynote speaker and brand storyteller. Working as a brand strategist with businesses of all sizes, from big brands like Five Guys to brand new entrepreneurs, for the past two decades, Melanie once drove 7,000 miles in three weeks on the Live Your Brand Tour to find out why great brands work. The humans were at the center of everything. Along the way, she noticed that every human had a personal story to share along with their brand story. Diving into the methodology of writing branded talks, she saw an even bigger pattern. People wanted to write their talks focused on what they had to do at their real job instead of their bigger impact in the world. She knew she had to change this. As an international keynote speaker, brand storyteller, and public speaking trainer, Melanie took all of her corporate and personal branding experience and created a safe place for kick-ass humans to write the talks they needed 
to write so they could share it with the world through her course, Speak with Confidence. Melanie and her crew travel the world, creating branded experiences for humans like you to find your stories, build your confidence, and amplify your voices through their corporate public speaking and pitch trainings. When Melanie's not playing with speakers and corporate folks or rocking the stage, she's living the vacation life bouncing between Denver, a lake in western New York, and coastal Florida, chasing sunrises with her husband and her pup. Melanie, welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I was like, did someone give me my entire bio? Because usually my intro bio is like half a minute. <laughs> and I actually cut some stuff out. I'm like, I got to trim this down a little it's bit. It's so long. Why? <laughs> well, because you're you're special. You've got a big story to tell. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your background, your journey to what got you where you are today. I feel like you just told everybody, so I don't even know what else I would say. <laughs> But yeah, I want to know a little more about, you know, what makes you tick. I mean, yes, that's all the professional stuff, but but maybe in your spare time. I mean, when you when you travel, what do you like to do? And what do you make sure that you hit up in every city you go to when you go to, to speak and, and see people? I typically just want to eat whatever is the best thing that they have there. So I'm a total foodie. I love to eat really not good food for me. Like I want to eat all the stuff that's like the local fare. But when it comes to like all the stuff you just talked about, I'm sitting here thinking, and I've done a lot of things that I'm only 40. So good job me for doing all that stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I don't really have a lot of other hobbies. I'm working on them at the moment, trying to figure out like, oh, do I really like painting? Or do I, <laughs> do I, I, do I miss playing piano and singing? Or I sit at the beach a lot and just stare at the ocean. But it's that work stuff. It's that life purpose stuff that, man, it just gets me fired up. Really drive you. Well, we've we've got some more questions. We'll save them for the end where we can discover a little more about that. But it sounds like if you like um, if you like eating around cities, which I love to do as well, I'm a, I am a total foodie and try to find those not not the big travel tourist traps, but like where the locals like to go to eat. Um, and I also like to travel out to Denver and Colorado a lot. That's actually where I met my wife. Uh, out in Colorado, and we're we're big outdoors people. So I think with Florida, Denver, and the places you travel, you probably get to see some pretty nice scenery. I do. I get. To, I've been all over the world because of my speaking. So it's been really fun to see why people do what they do and how they do it, and where they live, and what the fun, real things are. Not the tourists. I hate the touristy things. So anytime I'm like, take me to the local joint that like I really need to get the what. Like tell me what those things are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, our favorite is when you go to a restaurant is you ask the chef or you ask the, you know, the waitress there for the suggestion of the next place. And then they'll tell you your favorites. And you're like, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Melanie. Well, let's talk a little shop here. So um, great presentation you did a few weeks ago for our AMA West Michigan chapter. And we kind of want to recap that conversation because there was a lot of good information in there. But, um, you know, if I'm in my paraphrasing here, rock your pitch. You're basically going to tell us to get whatever we want today, right? Yes, exactly. A lot of people think pitches are just for salespeople or for people who are like, I want to convince someone to do something different. And I'm like, yeah, that happens every day, all day. So what if we were a little more intentional about it? I like acronyms. And I like that you said, you know, you were going to teach us the dish method. And we could think about that as how we want to get our, say, our significant others to wash the dishes and how to convince them. So that is ingrained in my head. So (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the dish method and let's go step by step and break that down. So first, why don't you give us the outline of what the dish method is and then let's jump into this, um, really how we can set the stage as as marketers, as storytellers to 
to, to make our pitches awesome. Yeah. Well, the DISH method is data, impact, story, and human. So it's an acronym that allows you to think about the four things you want to put into your pitch whenever you're thinking about your pitch. So thinking about, like you said, the DISH method, I didn't name it the DISH method because I was like, oh, you could do this. But I was like, it, it came out like the four small words that I could figure out to say, these are the things you have to have, the elements, they ended up being DISH. And they're not in the right order. It's not like, oh, if you start with data, then you go to impact, then you do story, then you do human. People get that all the time. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just the four elements. Yeah. So that's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about data. Um, mm -hmm. So what kind of what kind of data does somebody need to gather? And I suppose, you know, whether we talk about this in the context of, I'm sure as marketers, we're thinking business pitches of uh, how can we get a raise or how can we get more of a marketing budget for things that we want to do? Or even, again, personally is, uh, you know, how can I convince my wife that I want that, you know, brand new Jeep Wrangler and camper so that we can <laughs> drive out to Denver? Yeah. Well, as marketers, you want to think about it from a place of, what kinds of things, what kind of facts and information is in the pattern? So like what patterns are you noticing in your data? What, what human analytics is what I call it is like, there's always humans behind each of these data points. So if it's 80% of a certain number of people will do this thing, tell me who those people are and why you saw that pattern in there and what that pattern is actually telling us. So a lot of people will just say 80% of this will happen this way. And you're like, but what does that mean to me? And why is that important to know? And so I typically tell people, I'm like, you don't have to say, like, let's say that you're in, I work with a lot of credit unions. Let's say that you're in marketing in a credit union. You don't want to sit there and say, okay, your members, how many members do you have? You have 500 members. And 20% of those members didn't hear about you before they came into your, into your office. And why did that happen? What's the why behind it? Is there a reason why that they didn't hear from you? Or is there a way for you to be able to turn that number into something where they're referring you to other people? And how can you change those numbers? What are the what are the analytics behind it? And how can you make sure that they're they're really getting to the heart of the reason why, like we said in the beginning? Well, and you you said something in your presentation as well that really resonated. Um, you can't manage what you can't measure. And then you also had quoted the originator of that quote by also saying the most important things can't be measured. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what do we what do we do with that? Well, we're looking at the the heart behind it. We're looking at okay, there's there are numbers. That's nice, but those patterns and the numbers are the most important part. So I had given an example of someone who was dating and I gave some dating statistics and I said, like, I think it was 72% of people, women who ask men to dinner, drinks or lunch, the men will say yes. But what's the other side of that? Like, I like, that sounds like a nice figure. Thank you for telling me that information. But what I then said was the other side of that story is that 1% of women who get asked for the same thing respond to men. 1%. So that's telling me a story. So what's behind that story? The story is that women are getting asked a lot for dinner, drinks, or lunch, but very, very few of them are ever saying yes, which means the men have a much higher chance of losing out on dating unless the women are the ones who are asking. So there's a lot of things we can learn from that. Like there's there's stuff we can learn about dating. There's stuff we can learn about humans. There's stuff we can learn. But I was using it as a context to be able to share why this matters to the actual story that I was telling. So I was giving some foundational pieces to it. So that data isn't necessarily just to be like, oh, I'm going to convince people because this number is a really fancy number. It was more thinking, 
how can I relate this to the thing that I'm talking about? So you can even use dating in a credit union if you want to. You can compare dating statistics to why it's working to get members to come into your credit union and actually start working with you. The same as dating when it comes to, can I find a partner? How many people do I need to talk to before I can actually find the person I'm meant to be with? So there are lots of parallels between the two, but it's mostly the story behind it and what that actually means, why it's the foundational element. Interesting. Well, and and that was interesting too, because when you started off the presentation, what was the, um, wait, I think I wrote it down here. 40 million, 40 million Americans have used online dating. 53% have lied in their profile. So you said that you, a lot of times will start your presentations off with that, even if it's completely off topic right. to kind of reel people in. Yeah, because you're catching attention. So I'm a, I'm a public speaking trainer. Like I teach people how to do this. And a lot of people will start with, so I have this quote that I love so much that I want to share with you and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, are we going to get there? Or hi, I'm Melanie. Here's all the information about me. I know I'm amazing. And today I'm going to talk about whatever. And when I said that, I did that in front of a huge financial institution once where I got up and I said, 40 million Americans have used online dating. And they were thinking, we're going to be talking about data what? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And it caught their attention and made them go, I want to know what she has to say about this. So I use that to, sometimes I start with a story, but other times I'm like, I'm going to start with this. And it was part of a story, but it was the foundational piece of the story. And it caught the people that were listening off guard. Yeah. So if I'm going to go in and pitch my boss that I need a raise, can I use something just like that or something completely off topic? Or is that more of like a, you're only talking to like a mass audience kind of a, tactic. No, you can use that. So when I was talking about pitching earlier, I was saying that like, there's not just a, like when you're asking your boss or when you're doing a sales pitch or because a sales pitch to your boss about getting a raise or a promotion, that's a sales pitch. <laughs> so thinking about it as a tweet or an Instagram post or the newsletter that you're sending out or the content that you're putting into your video when you're getting up in front of people or even your podcast, if you think about it, let's say that you had started this whole entire podcast off with 40 million Americans have used online dating. And then you said, welcome to this podcast and I'm this person. And then you got into it. People would go, oh, this is fascinating. Instead of fast forwarding through the, oh, he always says that I'm going to fast forward to the real bit that I want to get to. So it's like that. it's getting people to go, wait a second, what's going on? And why do I want to listen? So it's really just piquing their interest more than anything. And right, so you right. can do that with your boss. You can say that 50% of all of the revenue we got last year was because of me. That's a killer way to start your pitch to your boss of why you deserve a raise. Like use some data for that. I mean, use a story for that, whatever you'd like to, but it catches them off guard and makes them go, this is different because they're usually sitting there like this going, I've got my phone in front of me and I'm typing on my phone. Wait a second. What did they just say? Right. Right. So it's kind of that initial catch where you get their ear and get them intrigued. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. Well, I know, you know, in, in podcasting, we use teases. So when we, we produce this and we put it out there, you know, I'm going to grab one of these awesome lines from you. And then we're going to pluck that little 30 second out. And then we're going to use that to tease the podcast where, um, you know, I know a lot of podcasts when they start out, they'll start out with a little tidbit, like from the podcast like that. So it really gets you, it really gets you intrigued. And then they go in and then they, they do the regular business like, like we did, which I'm, I'm going to have to rethink that now because, you know, we always start out. <laughs> 
We do the intro. We thank our sponsors. It takes a couple minutes to get through. So if you're a regular Marketers in Motion podcast listener, you might just like fast forward through because you know the first couple of minutes are going to be the intro and then you get into the meat of the, the story. So right. I like that tactic. Yeah. Is there anything else on data that really we should touch on before we move on to the the impact? I don't think so. I think, I mean, I would just leave you with the idea that what is your data is something that you should ask yourself before you get into any pitch presentation, marketing content, whatever you're trying to get out there to get someone to do something, whether you want them to convince them to think differently or to just click on a button or something. What is the data? And is it just, it could be just a fact. It could be like, this person was born in this year, or this person did this really great thing. That That's data. That's information that they didn't know already. And how can you make sure that it sets the foundation for everything you're doing? And I would assume that, say, it's your boss or maybe it's your spouse. You know, if you know this person, uh, make sure that you're using data that's going to resonate with them because everybody's personality is different, right? Be careful. You're getting into H already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about, um, so the second, the second point of the DISH method is impact. Let's talk a little bit about what the impact is and how that works. So the impact has more to do with what do you want the audience to walk away with? How do you want them to feel when you're done? And so that even ties in again, like you just said, with the, with the human, the age that I was talking about. When you think about the person that you're talking to and the group of people that you're talking to, you want to know before you start talking to them, what will the impact be of the pitch on them? Because a lot of people will be like, I really want this thing. And it's like, why? Why do you want that thing? Why does it matter? So I've had people walk into my office before and they'll be like, hi, so I deserve a raise. And I'm like, okay, so tell me why. And they're like, well, you know, like my, my family is getting bigger and my, my dad had moved in with us and my husband isn't doing super well at his job. So I'm going to need more money. And I was like, that doesn't impact me at all. Like, that's nice. Like, I'm sorry that that's happening, but it also doesn't impact me whatsoever. It's not your boss's fault that you're now in debt or something is, you know, you've taken on a, a house payment that's too much and they owe you more money so that you can keep doing it. It needs to be a performance base. So I get it, you know, providing right. the information of what you bring to the table and what you offer. And I've, I've noticed that with different bosses and different personalities over time. Uh, most of them do love to have an outline. So if you can put an outline with, uh, you know, a spreadsheet with some figures together and say, this is what I'm bringing to the table. And, and these are the, the values that I'm assigning to it. Again, I'm sure you want to know your, your H, your human, who you're talking to. You don't want to inundate them with just a bunch of useless data or too much data. You want to have the right amount and, and something that, um, that really resonates with them. Yes, exactly. So if you're thinking about the impact, though, you also, one of the things I learned over time, which I talked about in this talk, was that I learned that there was an impact on me as well. And I didn't think about that before I walked in. So like when I'm going in for like a job interview or whatever, like it's been a long time since that happened, but if I'm going in to ask for a raise or a promotion or whatever that is, instead of thinking about just the, what's the impact on them or the audience, even when I'm speaking, what is also the impact on me? Like, what am I going to get out of this? Like, what is the thing that I'm going to get to walk away with? And a lot of people forget to think about themselves. They forget to think like, oh, I get to do these amazing things. I get to do this better job. I get to... I get to have a more fulfilled life, but it's at the end of the day thinking about the feeling behind all of that impact. So it's the feeling of the person you're talking to or the audience you're working with, and then also the feeling that you have, because then you can take that in with you and go, the idea is that by the time I'm done with this, I want to feel 
more energized or more spacious or more excited about coming into work every day. And I want to make sure that they feel like they're getting the best end of this deal or whatever. Like it doesn't matter what that impact is, but you want to know exactly what they need to get impacted with and what you're going to get impacted with. So walking in there with both of those feelings will really help that. So it's a win-win essentially. Well, it's it needs to be. Every conversation, every marketing thing, we're not selling somebody something. And people say that a lot. I laugh when every time somebody says that, they're like, oh, I'm not selling anyone anything. I'm I'm creating great impact with them. And I was like, do you really believe that though? Do you actually think that you're not selling them anything or are you just doing it because you want to get the money for it? Because when we stop thinking about, I'm doing this to get something from someone else, you actually sit there and believe I have value and I'm giving this wonderful thing to them. And in return, they're going to give me this, which with speaking, it's attention. Like they're willing to put this phone down for a certain amount of time to be able to hear the thing that I have to say, but I have to do it in a way that's captivating. So what do we, what do I want them to feel and what's the impact on them? You gave an example in the presentation, which I'd like you to, to recap for us. Cause I thought it was, it really drove home the, the point of the impact and the, and the what's in it for, for me, you spoke about somebody that saw one of your presentations and then told you that what they were going to go and break up with their, was it a boyfriend or husband or wait, they weren't married. So boyfriend. Yeah. Boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us that story. (laughs) So I spoke on a big stage years ago and I was really excited about this impact that I was about to have. Like, okay, I want one person to come up to me out of the 500 in the audience and tell me that they were going to change something about their lives. And this woman walked up to me and was just like, oh my gosh, Melanie, that totally changed everything for me. I'm going to go home and break up with my boyfriend. And I was like, that wasn't the impact I was meaning, but okay, I'll be more specific next time. (laughs) And so what I learned was that she went home and she got an apartment and decided to move out and she was going to do this new thing. And within two weeks, her boyfriend at the time, finally, after 10 years, got down on his knee and proposed to her. And so it's not lost on me that that happened because she shifted something in herself through my presentation. There was a bigger impact. It wasn't just the impact that she broke up with him or she was going to. The bigger impact was that she decided to make a decision to change her life because she wanted to. And so he started noticing that that shifted. And I ended up, the impact on me was that I ended up getting to marry the two of them years late, like a a year later, and to be able to be on a stage with the two of them where he still to this day doesn't know that that was going to happen, but yay, (laughs) it actually did. And they ended up together. So thinking about the impact on you and your audience. So I didn't know I was going to get impacted by getting to marry a couple at the end of that talk. But if you're thinking really big about your impact, you have to be willing to be ready for whatever the universe throws at you. That's awesome. So not even thinking, uh, you know, what's the impact on you or what you had expected, something totally unexpected that came from that, which was an awesome, and that's got to make you feel good. I mean, you're responsible for, for those two now living happily ever after. I mean, they're not anymore. Don't tell anyone I said that. Oh no. <laughs> why did you have to say that? I knew it wasn't going to work from the beginning, but <laughs> that's why I don't tell that part in my talks. They're going to have to get the inside scoop on this. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's good that we get to the juice in the podcast that we didn't actually get in the formal presentation, but. Well, I can't just leave you with a recap. I have to give you the juicy stuff. Right, right. Well, that happens, right? I mean, relationships, they they come and go. So, and we move on. (laughs) Yes. Point number three, the story. Tell us a little bit about uh, the story part of your, your pitch. 
Well, I'm a brand storyteller. So story is my favorite part of this when it comes to the actual like integrated pieces of this. Like data is a part that I'm like, oh, that's fine, whatever. But story is the part that we've lost along the way. We're we're storytellers. Our innate human desire is to be able to tell stories, but most of us don't even know how to tell stories anymore. And when the description even says like tell stories that don't bore people to death, it's to remind you that the stories that you have to tell, you really have to think about your audience and what is it that you want your impact to be? And can you marry that data, those facts and figures with a story to make sure that you have content and context? So you've got your, your data, which is your context, and your story, which is your content. And people remember story way more than they remember data points. Like I, I very rarely remember my own data points, let alone hoping other people will remember them, but they'll remember the story behind it. They'll remember the person who was a part of that story. They'll remember how they felt when they heard about that person because they can relate to it. So thinking about your stories, if we're just talking about asking for a, a promotion or a raise, you can tell a story about a client interaction that you had with someone and how that impacted their lives. And, or you can talk about the the time that you worked with that coworker and the two of you did such a great job making sure that that project came together and made the company more money. I mean, business, it's really all about tying it back to like, how is, how are we going to make more money for the company? But the companies do really care, care also about the culture behind it and the stories that are happening. And a lot of times I'm just going to say we as marketers, I know that there's a person coming up that's going to be talking about how we're addicted to storytelling. And I love storytelling so much that that's nice, but I really like being addicted to it. But it's that idea that like, we forget that we have stories all the time. We don't, we like, like, I understand that there is that side of like, oh, we're just going to tell stories. That's not how it works though. We have to understand that we can gather these stories and pick them up and use them in a way that will actually help us not just be like, oh, see, I'm amazing. I told you this amazing story. It's no, how can this impact other people and show them that they're just like them? So being able to use story in a way that really highlights the data and understands the impact behind it because you know the audience you're talking to. If my notes are correct, you you had mentioned a statistic or a couple of statistics about a professor that was lecturing. Um, I, I, I said professor lecturing for one minute or on one minute. Five percent remember the data. Sixty-seven remembered the story. Was I? Was 67%. Yeah. Well, he was asking his class, it was Professor Chip Heath from Stanford. He was asking his class to give a one minute persuasive argument. And each of the groups had facts and figures. And one group, he gave a story. And of all of the information that all of them heard, and they wrote it down, only 5% remembered any of the statistics and 67% remembered the one story that was told. Aha. Yeah. I mean, data at a certain point, unless you're maybe an engineer or a programmer or really have that analytical mind, I, I think that's really hard to, especially when it comes like one after another, that's tough to remember all that or really have resonate with you on any kind of a personal level. Well, there's a reason that our phone numbers used to be seven digits because we don't remember a lot of numbers. Now they're like, what, 10 digits at this point? It's like, we don't remember that kind of stuff. And even before then, it was only five digits. And before then, it was only calling up the operators. So we didn't have to remember people's numbers, but the numbers behind it, a lot of times we forget those because it's like, was it 397 or 395 or 400? I cannot remember because our brains trick us when we're hearing those numbers. But when we relate it to story and we get it to the point that you're like, I'm hearing the humans behind it. I'm hearing about the actual content behind the context. So the context is there to lay the foundation to make sure you sound smart. You know what you're talking about and people believe you. That's the whole idea of data. 
But the stories inside that data, that's the part that you want to really capitalize on because people remember those things. They remember the feelings that they had when they heard that story or how it related to them as well. I, yeah. And as marketers, I mean, we all know the value of, of storytelling. And I think that's the thing that we see in a lot of organizations. I mean, I've worked for a lot of organizations that have great stories to tell. They just haven't been telling them. They don't have the time. They don't have the the resources to do so. And I know that's what a lot of marketers are are faced with. So people have to tell those stories and need to prioritize telling those stories because that that impact that can touch people on on such a a, a human level, as you say, uh, can be can be really beneficial. And again, and that, I know that's hard to gauge in the example of asking for a raise as a marketer. You start out at, a, at an organization where you may not have a big marketing budget, and you, and until you get that data going, you can give statistics. But again, there's there's really a grassroots effort of like you need to start telling your story, and you need to start getting that content out there. And telling your story, educating people, and then you know naturally that other stuff is is going to is going to follow, and then it's then you can start doing things that lead to conversions, and you can start tracking. Okay, you know we we posted this content, and we got this much response, and we had a couple conversions that actually turned into some cash. So there's yeah. some data for that. But I, I I can see how that can be tough in certain circumstances to to try to to try to get through to a you know, a, a CFO or somebody on the analytical side that's like, I just, I need to see the numbers. You got to give me a spreadsheet that's going to show, you know, your value, which that can be tough. Yeah. Well, I actually worked with cybersecurity startup accelerators that like it helps, they help cybersecurity startups really get the investment that they wanted. And they're probably some of the hardest people I've ever had to train how to do this because their, their brains think in big words and data and their own little engineering space and they think, okay, well, everyone can just understand what it is that I do. And so when I was teaching them how to pitch to investors, I said, you have to understand that, yes, they're going to be looking at the numbers. They're going to look at the data. They want to know how impactful is this going to be and are they going to get their money back? But the only way they're going to do that and the only way they're going to listen is if you get them to feel something. So is there a story that you can pull in there that can relate to them? Like there was one guy who I shared on the I believe I shared on the, the talk the other day that there was one guy who was a guy who hacked in, who was able to hack into a car and put in security measures so that someone couldn't hack into your car. So he was, he was working on a startup that allowed you to make sure that that car couldn't get hacked into. And I was like, well, there was a story on the news the other day about a controlled situation where a Jeep was stopped on the middle of the highway by a hacker. It was controlled, but that means that that can actually happen. And he was like, yeah, it totally, it totally can happen. I was like, well, then what if you told those investors, what if your wife and your kids were in that car when that happened? Put them in that situation and made them feel like, oh my gosh, I don't want that to happen. It gave them goosebumps and gave them, he, he got the money for what he wanted to do that because he was able to relate it. He didn't just talk in his head. He was talking with his heart and understanding that this is the real thing behind it that can relate to you as a human being. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that that makes complete sense. I mean it's it's talking about the same thing but just putting it in a different in a different way. Let's talk about uh the the H of dish, humans. Well, the humans are, you know, the best part of the whole equation. <laughs> so, let's let's say that we're talking about asking for a raise. You're talking to your boss or your manager, the person who's above you to get a raise or promotion. 
When you're talking to your significant other, though, you're not going to say the same things. Even if you're asking for like, hey, do you mind if we go on vacation? Or do you want to take some time off and spend some money or do something different? You're not going to say the same words to both of those humans. If you're standing in front of an audience, and I've done this before, I'm standing in front of an audience of all women, except for the, you know, there's always like the one or two guys in the back that I'm like, okay, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the rest of them. So it's like 500 women are in the audience. I'm talking to them and I'm saying specific things to get them to understand what I'm talking about. I'm not going to talk about my gynecology visit to a group of mixed company or mostly men because they're not going to relate to that. So understanding that like you have to relate to the human on the other end of it. You have to use the words that they're interested in. Let's say their boss has literally five minutes every time you see them or they're always late for every meeting, which we have a lot of bosses like this. So if you think about that, What's the thing that will get them to be interested in the thing you have to say in only five minutes? Or can you catch them off guard with that 40 million Americans who use online dating idea to get them interested in putting down their phone and not thinking about the stuff that they're thinking about? So how can you relate to that audience? And do you have stories and data that will relate to them specifically? So my rock your pitch talk, I don't always give it exactly the same way. Sometimes if I'm giving it to all women, I'll use very very much more storytelling in the beginning than I will using a lot of the data if it's mixed company or mostly men. So I'll I'll relate it to the humans who are behind it. I could see getting into and and probably what what I would suffer from is pitching to somebody else how I would want to be pitched to, mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, this this is what interests me, so this should be interesting to them, but then realizing that we we have you know very different personalities. I mean, my wife, for example, she can't stand it when I drone on and on and on about something. So, and I tend to do that because I'm a talker. So, a lot of times when I when I do a pitch, I just I have a problem with you know I don't stop talking. And I'm also one of those I've got to fill the any silence in the conversation with something because I can't let there be gaps. So it's like I tend to just keep going until I know somebody's gonna come in and say something. So I. That's something that I think that I learned from your presentation in when I'm trying to pitch an idea to my wife, I need to be quick, I need to be concise, and I know that I've got a very small time frame with her to, to get <laughs> to get my pitch in because otherwise she's like, she's boom, she's gone. Yes, exactly. And it's really thinking about who are the people I'm talking to? Is it a client that I'm working with? It is, a, is it a, my boss? Is it a significant other? Is it my kid? If I want them to do something, I have to talk to them a certain way. And I can't talk to, like you guys know, I don't have kids, but like you all know, like, I, each of my kids I have to speak to differently. Think about that with your audience. Every audience you have to speak to differently. Every group of humans or singular person you speak to differently. And one of the best things to do in an office situation with this is to learn their personality assessment. So a lot of times they do a DISC assessment or a strengths finder assessment or something like that. And a lot of people will share that through the office. Like everyone knows everyone else's strengths and weaknesses and what their DISC assessment is. Like I'm a really high eye on the DISC assessment. So if you want to talk to me about stuff where like it's social, it's really exciting, it's going to be influential, I am straight up in like, please come to me with all the stories. I want to hear them. If you're going to start talking about data, I'm going to, I'm going to just quietly fall asleep while you're sitting there talking to me. So like, I'm not going to be like me and my bookkeeper, we have a very specific structure of how we talk to each other. I need a specific report because I cannot understand all of the things that they're trying to tell me. I want to know it. I don't want to talk about it for an hour. So it's like, Thinking about who is talking to who and how they can process that information is really important. Yeah. 
That's interesting. I recently had a job with an organization that had varied personality types. And I think one of the things that I struggled with was taking the same approach with everybody. And after banging my head against the wall for a year, I finally realized, hey, everybody's completely different. And I think it would be beneficial to sit down one-on-one and talk to them each individually. So yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. Also, do you have any advice for maybe people that aren't the most creative storytellers? Are there any tips, tricks, or, or any things that, that they can really use as a go-to to try to just spice up what they're going to say? I mean, it depends on the human, but yeah, there's a lot of things that you can think about when you're writing your story or creating your story or figuring out what your next story is going to be. And one of the things that actually hit home, I I do a thing called speak with confidence and I teach people how to do this. And one of the things that I was talking about one day, which I've talked about many, 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 many times, really hit home with one of the people who, which I call rock stars in our group. And he said later, he goes, I had no idea that I had stories everywhere all day with, they're always happening. And so what I, what I ask people to do is to practice this. I want you to think about what happened this morning. Did you have coffee? Did you talk to someone? Did someone pass you on the street? Did you see a cute dog and you wanted to pet it? Like, like what happened this morning? Like what happened in your house with your kids? Were you trying to get your son to eat his cereal? Or like, did you make your coffee and you forgot to put the coffee cup under the coffee maker? Like those kinds of things. Those are stories that are happening all the time and they don't have to be fascinating or interesting. They're everyday stories. And those everyday stories are the most important stories for us to tell each other because we can relate to them the easiest. So a lot of us think, okay, I have to be fascinating at storytelling. I have to be able to tell really big, epic stories because we hear motivational speakers get up on stages and talk about being an Olympic skier who's blind or like I was born in a third world country and I have a really, like I have a really hard past, but I became this really great, huge pioneer in this section. And all of us are sitting there going, Okay, but how does that relate to me? Like I, I, I'm really inspired and motivated by it, but how does that relate to me? And when we think about it, it's the everyday stories that are the most relatable. So when we're thinking about our stories, thinking about how can I tell my story of my coffee, not having the coffee cup underneath it this morning and make it relatable to someone else going, oh my gosh, I've had those mornings. And it's just those little tiny everyday snippets that we can start pulling in and maybe journaling about or writing down and going, oh yeah, that was a good one. Like the one I talked about in the in the talk that that I didn't realize was a relatable story until I shared it the next day was the fact that I got sick, like horribly sick on the train on my way to this big talk that I was giving. And I was talking about the difference between living in a beautiful life and a miserable life. And it was just a choice. And the night before I had horrible, horrible stomach flu and ended up like being terribly sick the whole night before, but thinking about the fact that I can choose to be miserable and throwing up, or I can choose that this happened to me and I can use it tomorrow in my talk. And sure it sucks, but I don't have to let it like ruin my life. So thinking about those kinds of things, it's just the everyday stories and going, oh, I could use this for something. Oh, it's another thing I can use. And they don't have to be epic. They can be I got sick on the train. (laughs) That's terrible. But how can I relate it to the thing that I'm trying to share? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great advice. 
So any anything else on humans, the topic of the humans of DISH? I could talk about humans all day, so no. <laughs> all right. So we got data, impact, story, and humans. And I, I like you. You had a slide at the end that kind of wrapped it all up and and put it all together. Can you go through those? It looks like there were eight steps on that before your next pitch. Sure. I'll memorize them and go through them. Hold on. <laughs> Just kidding. So thinking about your data, so you want to know what is your data? What is your story? What is your impact on those people and on yourself? And who are the humans you're talking to? And when you get that pitch together, you have to practice it. Because a lot of times we sit there and we think, okay, I'm going to be fine. I'm just going to get up there and I'm going to share it. And then we get super nervous about it. And we're like, oh, I probably should have practiced that. Or what was I going to say then? And how was I going to say it? It doesn't have to be memorizing it. I'm not saying that. Just practicing it and knowing like, how do I want to start this? What do I want to say next? How am I going to say that thing? If he asks this, what am I going to say then? And what happens here? Just to make sure that you have it in your body and you know that you're going to have that in there. Because the more you practice it, the more it's just going to be like, oh, when this happens, I'll just do this. And when this happens, I'll do this. But then thinking about the next steps of it, being able to say, okay, I am about to walk into that office and I'm going to ask for that thing, or I'm going to do that thing, or I'm going to say that thing, whatever it is. And I, I liken this to walking on stage and taking a deep breath and walking on stage and saying your first 10 words. What are the first 10 words that you need to have come out of your mouth? A lot of people will say, so the other day I was at this thing and, or, hey, did you have your cup of coffee this morning? Or good morning, everybody. Oh, I didn't hear a good morning. Good morning, everybody. Like, ugh, kill me. Every time someone does it, I'm like, and I'm back on my phone. Thank you. Even if you're walking into your boss's office to ask for that raise or promotion, walking in and knowing those first 10 words will help you breathe and center and get grounded and go, here are my first 10 words. Like when I said 40 million Americans have used online dating. That's all I had to say. I knew what was going to come next. I knew how to do the rest of it. All I had to do was get through that 10 words and I was golden. So being able to say those first 10 words and then really getting into that pitch and asking for what you want. That's the part that most people forget. They get to the end of the pitch and they're like, and this is why I deserve a raise. And the boss is like, okay, what do you want me to do now? Okay. The, the question is the part that we forget that what else would you like to know in order for me to get this raise? Good one. Is there is there anything that's keeping you from giving me this raise? That's a good one. Like thinking about what's the question you want to ask at the end of it and knowing what that question is going to be so that when they say, why do you deserve this raise in return? You can say, I just told you, here's the data. Here's my Im impact. Here's the stuff that I've been doing. Here's all of, the, all of the stuff. You already have that all done. And then you can say, so I'm looking forward to having this raise. When can I get it? <laughs> nice. Being bold enough to ask for the thing that you want because a lot of people just leave it at, okay, let me know whenever you're ready to to give it to me, <laughs> which doesn't make it fun. It doesn't make it interesting. So being able to ask for what it is that you want is the most yeah. important. Yeah. No, I I get that. And that's that can be that can be tough. I mean, uh, I I think, you know, a lot of people can struggle with that that confidence to to be like that, but when you give those examples of of saying that, I mean, I think that's very empowering. And yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing that, that I've seen in a lot of pitches and presentations, people will start out or constantly throughout, they're apologizing. They're like apologizing <laughs> for something. 
And I know you had said something about this, but I, I just think that is so detrimental. And I've heard that in many capacities, like stop apologizing. Well, so let's say you walk into a meeting with your your coworkers, or even you get on a Zoom meeting and you're a few minutes late. A lot of people will be like, oh, sorry, I'm late. Sorry. Sorry that I'm, I know traffic, blah, 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 whatever. Like, I mean, now we can't say traffic anymore. It's like my kid, my dog, <laughs> like whatever. There's always something. And instead of saying that, you can say, thank you so much for waiting. I appreciate your patience. <laughs> Whatever that is, thinking about how to not say you're sorry, because a lot of people will just walk into everything. And even if they're not saying it, they're believing it. They're walking in going, oh, sorry, can I interrupt for a moment? Sorry, can I say something? Sorry, I don't mean to bother you by being here, but instead being able to shift it, which I think is what you're trying to get me to, to talk about, is to a, your welcome attitude. And it's the yes. idea that you are there for a reason and you are the gift. You're not walking in going, I have all these amazing things that I can do. I have all these gifts that I've been working on or these talents or this, whatever it is that you, skills that you're using, but you can walk in and go, you're welcome. And you can feel that way. You don't walk in and actually say, you're welcome. Cause there are some guys <laughs> who do that. And I'm like, oh, please stop it. Like, no, we're not, we're not at all. Actually, you should be apologizing. But there are a lot of people who don't have that confidence to walk in and do that. So if you get on a stage or you are ready to go in to do a pitch to your boss for something, whatever it is, or even if you're supposed to be doing, let's, let's say it's even doing that in between part, which a lot of marketers do. They do the in-between speaker sponsor speeches, like speeches to do that. And a lot of them will be so apologizing without saying, I'm sorry, apologizing the whole time for even bothering people with their sponsor pitch. And it's like, you just paid for this person to speak. What are you talking about? Don't apologize for that. Like, I'm grateful that you're paying for me to speak. <laughs> like, please don't apologize. But it doesn't set them up as a very good resource for them to have people come to them for those things. So being able to walk in and think in your head. And so I have to say that in your head sometimes, because some people are like, you're welcome. I'm like, no, 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 just in here, just in your head, walking in with a, like a posture of I'm here and you're welcome because I'm a gift and I'm amazing. And if more of us were able to do that, it's not from a place of conceitedness or like I'm better than everyone. It's a truly finally believing it. So the more you say it, the more you can believe it. And the more you can actually show up that way and ask those bold questions. Like, so when can I get my raise? That's a bold question. Yeah. And being able to say, you're welcome because I'm gifting you me in this organization. And I know that I'm good at this and being willing to say that instead of, sorry, I know that budgets are blah, 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 but I'd like to get a raise walking in with a so when can I get this? Yeah, I like that. I mean, being in total control. Mm -hmm. And and I, I I would recommend that if anybody needs a, uh, a confidence boost in that, on that conversation that we just had, You Are a Badass is a, a great book. I think mm -hmm. there's a whole like suite of different books on the full badass um, conversation. <laughs> there I is. Found, I found that one very helpful. Yep. And You Are a Badass at Making Money is another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, is there is there anything that we missed as far as the the rocking your pitch? I think I, I think, think we so. touched on all the main points, right? Yeah, I almost feel like I okay. gave it over again. I'm giving it yeah. I'm giving it in like a little bit, so I'm glad that I could re-go through it with you. <laughs> and the and the juicy stuff that uh was not mm -hmm. included in 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 the 
polish presentation, which I like. Um, well, I did want to ask you about a couple of your other uh, your other products that you have, other services, I guess I should say, because um, you had talked about the how not to be weird on Zoom, and then also your speak with confidence ninety day challenge. So um, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the how not to be weird on on Zoom, because I know that that's as we were just talking about apologizing for coming in, apologizing for. Uh, you know, you told me that the dog was going to break in at some point. We haven't seen the dog yet. Where is he? My husband he? wrangled him. He wrangled him, I swear. Ah, okay. Okay. So, so yeah, give us, give us some of the, the, the main points on the how not to be weird about Zoom and tell us a little bit about that. Well, I actually recorded this live, how not to be weird on Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic. So at this point, over a year ago. And the reason I did it was because I kept seeing people, even on the news, who were taking their laptops into bathrooms with them, not realizing that they were on video. And I started thinking, I'm like, there are some things that people don't know. Like, that's one that's like a really out there one. But there are a lot of things that people just don't understand about how to set up their background or how to look good on Zoom or how to have the right lighting or the right microphone or the right setup, whether it's a really cheap one or a really expensive setup in a studio. What can you do to make sure that you're maximizing the space since you have to be on video now, which this is very much a video first time in our history. How can we make sure that we're showing up the way we need to be? So I said how not to be weird on Zoom to hook people. I've also had people go, um, I like my weird and I'm like, oh yeah, you can still be your weird, but like, don't be weird. Like, right. don't be that guy. So right. making sure that you're showing up in a way that really helps you show your personal brand, whether it's to your team or your clients, or you would normally take someone out to lunch or coffee or dinner. If you were to do that, but you have to do it on Zoom now, how can you create that same experience in that Zoom instead? Or you're giving presentations I watched, I think the reason I first thought about doing it was I was watching Instagram and I was watching people do Instagram stories and lives and stuff like that. And all I heard at the beginning was, so, um, so today I'm thinking, oh, hi. Oh, there's people in here. Oh, hi. Um, <laughs> hey, so, and then five minutes later, I'm like, are you going to talk about something? Or are you just going to sit there and sew an um at me the whole time? <laughs> So I got on a call and started doing this Zoom call on how to not be weird on Zoom because I was like, I want to help people be able to show up more professionally in their own weirdness in whatever way that is to be able to not have it be a bomb every time they turned on their video camera. Yeah, I, do, I mean, and, and don't don't face don't don't shoot with a, a window in the background because people aren't going to see your face. You're going to be drowned out. Do you have one of the. Is it like the, it's like a makeup light, those circle lights that people are using to make sure that they have the lighting right? I did have one, but I have natural light now, so I don't need it. You're in Florida. So I'm in Florida. <laughs> Us here in Michigan, on the other hand, well, we're getting to the summer season, so we get a little more light. So, um, okay. And we can, we can actually put a link to that in the show notes. Cause I think that was at irockmyvideos.com, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's free. And it comes with a tip sheet. I actually created a tip sheet for hosts and guests on the top six things you can do to be the best host or best guest. And I did it all based on Emily Post's how to host a party or attend a party. So I was like, oh, let's nice. make it a Zoom party. And I updated it all based on that. So you get that along with the, the Zoom training. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. And then tell us just a little bit about the uh, Speak With Confidence 90-Day Challenge that you do. 
Oh man, I feel like I started everything in my business during the pandemic. Well, I I created a course called the Speak with Confidence 90 Day Challenge that was based on my retreat that I I mean, we're doing it in person again, but the the two last year in 2020 got canceled, so I wanted to make sure I could give it to more people. And so we started doing it where it's seven chapters of how to figure out your stories, how to understand your brand, how to use the dish method. Chapter three is the dish method. And chapter four is how to put it all together, how to structure your talk in a way, whether it's a a quick pitch or a full talk, if you're giving a big talk or even a video, if you're thinking about like, I want to create a video that's impactful. How can I do that? That's a way to do that. And then it goes into memorizing without memorizing and then how to market it, how to actually put your title and your description and your um, your content together in a way that gets people to want to hire you to do these kinds of things. And then the last chapter is all of the tips and tricks for using the stage, which you can also translate into video. So it's seven chapters of really good stuff and a community of people who are also doing the same thing. And it's a 90 day challenge. So we give you 90 days to do it, but you kind of get to do it for as long as you want to. But don't tell anyone I said that because we really want people to write more talks and tell more stories. <laughs> All right. We'll put a link to that uh, on the show notes as well. And I think that one is 90daytalk.com, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. I got these. I got yes. these things down. Awesome. Okay. Well, before we let you go, we do have to ask our ending with why questions. And based off of Simon Sinek's starting with why, we have to ask you, what is your why? My why is that I am hell-bent on amplifying voices. And the reason that is my why is because of the fact that I believe humans have stories to tell. And I know that I can help them tell those stories. And I am ready to help them in any way, shape, or form that I can. That's awesome. I love it. All right. Who or what inspires you? I am inspired by my rock stars more than anything. The people who I work with, the people who I get to work with as clients, because they're always teaching me something new. They're always diving deeper or saying, oh, I can't go there because those stories are too scary. Or what if I have to get on stage and do this? I've been doing it on Zoom for the last year. What do I do now? And how do I get that on stage? And they're always pushing themselves to be better. And I get to, I don't have kids, like I mentioned, but I get to proud mom the heck out of them when I get to work with them. So I feel like I have tons of kids. Awesome. Well, yeah, and I'm I'm I am expecting when we go back to seeing others in person again that you'll do another version of your um, how not to be weird in person with other people. <laughs> yes, I feel like I I needed to do that anyway. <laughs> how to socialize again? <laughs> um, all right. What is your favorite book and or podcast? My latest favorite is Rob Bell's uh, Everything Is Spiritual, and. It's the reason it's my favorite lately. I just finished it the other day is that I didn't really think about this idea of our inner guidance or understanding who, who, like what is actually telling us what we need to do? Like, why is our, why our, why, and why are we inspired by certain people and not others? And how do we need to spend our time and what do we need to do in this world and that kind of stuff. And I call it my inner knowingness. So having this knowingness and it finally like clicked everything into place for me to go, oh, that is that is my inner knowingness. And I do have the answers. And I say that all the time. You have your answers. All of you have your answers inside you all the time. But are you asking the right questions? So his podcast is actually also fantastic. It's called The Robcast. The Robcast. 
Uh, awesome. Okay. And and I like that. Why is your why your why? I think we have to change our number one to why is your why your why. <laughs> or that could be the follow-up. What is your why? And then why is your why? Your why? <laughs> exactly. You can stump okay. everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question. Based off what you've learned throughout your career, what is one piece of advice that you would offer to others? Oh, this changes every time someone asks me this. But I think the biggest part, especially since this is a marketing audience, the biggest part of who you are and how you show up has more to do with what other people believe about you than it is what you believe about yourself. So I say all the time, your brand is what everyone else is saying about you, not what you're saying about yourself. So thinking about you, how you show up, what your marketing looks like, whether it's your personal brand or a business brand or even inside the company you work for. Why are you the way that you are? And how can you make sure that when you do show up, you're showing up in a way that is in alignment with what people are saying about you and what you want them to say? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I, I, I'm a big seven habits person, always have been, and, and really always ingrained in that working off of having, having a mission statement, having core values, having, uh, having a story and, and really that shaping like everything that you are. So, you know, your personal mission statement, what's your personal mission statement? And, and, and yeah, do you show up? I mean, do you exude that wherever you go and whatever you do and whatever you say and what you post on social and do you have a personal mission statement? I, I have a lot of mission statements and purpose <laughs> statements and I mean, I'm like covered in them. So don't ask me right now. I'm in the middle of a struggle of trying to even figure out what the heck I do anymore. So yeah, that's okay. That's okay. And those evolve. Those those evolve. I think that's a natural thing to do. Exactly. So. Awesome. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you talking to AMA uh, West Michigan. It was a great presentation. Uh, we always want to offer if, uh, and again, we'll put contact information in the show notes. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, if they have additional questions for you or interested in having you speak uh, to their group or organization, how do they reach out? They just go to MelanieSpring.com. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Easy. Are you on all the socials? Can all of it. Follow you. Just type in Melanie Spring. You'll find me everywhere. <laughs> awesome. We'll add Melanie's contact information along with a brief summary of all the discussion and links to the reference resources in the show notes. That's on the Marketers in Motion podcast page at amawestmichigan.org. Make sure to join us for our last virtual event of the season and your addiction to storytelling, building brands through experience design with Russ Klein, CEO of AMA National on Tuesday, May 11th from 1130 to 1. Details and registration information is at amawestmichigan.org under events. And lastly, we do want to hear from you. What content are you loving? How awesome was Melanie? What do you want to hear more about? Let us know. We also encourage you to subscribe, review, and engage with us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever great podcasts are found. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we hope to see you sometime again soon. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is AMA.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe and share our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Don't forget important links, content, and resources will be included in the show notes for this podcast. 
Thanks for listening to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. What will you do with the information you learned today? Be inspired. Be creative. Be bold. Set your marketing in motion.